Um, our second reading this morning is going to be Galatians chapter 5. I will read verses 1 through 16. That's uh, on page 1157 in your pew Bibles. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Hear the word of God. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident... Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we ask for your help this morning as we uh, dig into your word. Um, Lord, you have the words of life um, as we turn now to uh, complicated matters. I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds and make things clear to us that uh, just simply are not clear to our fleshly nature. Um, We ask for that favor, uh, for our own benefit, and for your glory. And we do pray this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've referenced uh, the war that goes on inside of us uh, in the title of this sermon. Uh, You may have noticed that uh, our lives are an ongoing conflict and struggle between things that we want to do and things that we know we should be doing. And this is true whether or not you are a follower of Christ or even if you're a secular person. Even secular people have um, ideals and standards that they believe in, that they think are right and true, and they find themselves doing something else. Okay, So there is a war going on within us. Paul alerts us to this war. It's important for us to recognize that this war is a perpetual war. So that we're not surprised by it. Sometimes people um, discover conflict in their Christian life and they're discouraged. You know, as though I become a Christian and all of a sudden all of the conflict uh, should disappear. In fact, I think it's the case that there is less conflict before you become a Christian and there's more conflict after you become a Christian because when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you and all of a sudden there's this warfare going on between the Spirit and the flesh. The unredeemed person lives in the flesh. Now, maybe they have 
ideals and standards that they don't live up to, but basically the unredeemed person simply follows his own desires and his own nature, whereas the redeemed person has a new imprint on him. Scripture talks about there being a new man. And so this new man is impressed upon the old man. And until we reach glory one day, those two men are going to be at war with each other. And so if you have conflict going on inside of you, if your desires and your habits and your actions are in conflict with what you know uh, the Word of God has taught you, well, you need to thank God for that. Because the fact that there's a conflict going on inside of you is a sign that you're redeemed. Those who are unredeemed don't have that conflict. Those who are unredeemed have not received the Word of God uh, as an instruction from, from Almighty God. For them, it's just some kind of mysterious, you know, things written in the Bronze Age in Palestine. But for those who are redeemed, the Word of God becomes alive. It becomes the truth of God. It becomes the mirror of God's mind. And we find ourselves in conflict with that. And so if you have conflict going on in your life between your spirit and your flesh, give thanks to God. It's a sign that you're part of the body of Christ. Now that conflict is not going to go on forever. Uh, once we leave this body behind, uh, that conflict will be over. But as long as you are in the body, you're going to have this war. So I want, first of all, I just want to say that so you're not surprised. But secondly, I want us to think about what that means for our ongoing life. We've spent the last three weeks talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Normally here in this church, we preach through whole books of the Bible at the time, uh, at a time, I'm not a topical preacher, uh, but this time we've, we've taken a one month pause just to lift up this topic of the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and some of the things that we've discovered about the gifts of the Spirit are that the gifts of the Spirit are given by God. They've not been purchased by us. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit are not our talents or the things that we have accomplished uh, through our labors, but the gifts of the Spirit are just that. They're, they are a grace from God. The other thing that we discovered about the gifts of the Spirit are that the gifts of the Spirit are given to individual Christians not for their own blessing or benefit. Okay, Now when you get a birthday present, when you get a Christmas present, that's for you to enjoy. But the gifts of the Spirit are not for you to enjoy. Well, you will enjoy them, but they're not really for you. They're for all of the people who are around you. Okay, And so when we are converted and when we become part of the body of Christ, one of the things that happens to us is we receive certain gifts. And those gifts are for the people who are uh, in your congregation. It's important for us to be exercising those gifts because if we're not exercising those gifts, then the rest of the body that's around us is is impoverished or is is weakened. Now, one of the things I think it's important for us to recognize, uh, and we will be talking about this uh, in the new members class, is that the church is the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Christ is the bridegroom and the church as a whole is is the bride and the church as a whole is equipped and made beautiful by these gifts of the Spirit. It's important to recognize, however, that it's the church as a whole that is 
the bride of Christ, not us individually. It isn't that you and I have married Jesus, but you and I have believed in Jesus, and by becoming believers in Jesus, we've been joined to the body. The body as a whole uh, is, is, is the bride of Christ. We're, we are united to Christ in faith, and by being united to Christ in faith, we receive the Holy Spirit, and those with that Holy Spirit comes a bunch of gifts that makes the bride beautiful. And so it really raises the question uh, for someone who is calling themselves a Christian, are you able to identify what your gifts of the Spirit are, number one, and number two, where are you deploying those gifts? All right? We know that everybody who has been born again receives the Holy Spirit. And we know that everyone who's received the Holy Spirit receives certain gifts. And we know that those gifts are not for you, they're for everyone else around you. And so you can examine your own life and say, number one, what are my gifts? What have, what have I been given in a supernatural way that's not a talent, but that is something that God has given to me for the blessing of the people who are part of my congregation? Number one, it's the first question. Everybody should be able to identify that. Okay? You could... Write it on your business card. This is my Holy Spirit gift. This is what, this is, this is what I've been called to do. And then secondly, where are you deploying that gift? You haven't been given that gift for you just to sit on it. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the people around you. And if you've not deployed that gift, well, we have a problem. I mean, you personally have a problem. And the body that you belong to has a problem as well because they're, they're impoverished by the lack of you bringing that gift. And so I want each one of us to be able to answer that question. What are my gifts and where have I plugged in to the, into the body of Christ? In the new members class, we talk a lot about this because, uh, in, in the United States, we're, we're such individualists. We don't like to think corporately or as a group, but Every description of the body of Christ, every description of the church in Scripture is very corporate. It's about a body that has different parts that all fit together. Yes, we individually are important and we've been plugged into that body, but the body is what is grand and glorious and the body is what uh, Christ has given himself for on the cross. So, you know, among the gifts that we've uh, talked about, we have the gift of prophecy. Paul says that the gift of prophecy should be at the top of your list. The gift of prophecy is simply the gift of being able to speak the word of God to other people. Mostly we speak the word of God to the people of God. That's what we do here in preaching. Sometimes we speak the word of God to people who are not yet in Christ. Okay, every time we're preaching, we're preaching to a mixed crowd. Sometimes, you know, part of the preaching is to the choir, to the, to the redeemed, to those who already know these things. And, and it, preaching to the people who are already part of the body of Christ is just to build them up and to encourage them in the work. But some people are always present in the congregation who were not yet redeemed. Okay, they're not yet Christians. They're on their way to be Christians. God has called them. That's why they've landed here in church and God's working on them. He's preparing them. And the, the proclamation of the word, the prophecy to them is a word of conviction. For those individuals, it's a, a rising awareness of the sinfulness in their life. Uh, an increasing understanding that, you know, outside of Christ, they have no hope. 
the knowledge that Christ died for them and that by faith in Christ their sins are forgiven and they can trade this body of death for eternal life. Okay, so the, the prophetic gift, this ability to speak the word of God to people speaks both to the church by encouraging and building up the church, but it also speaks to those who are not yet the church, but whom God is calling into the church. All right. By the way, for those who are who will never be part of the church, the preaching just bounces off of them. Okay, so you don't have to worry about them. That, it, it's just gibberish to them. They don't understand it. All right. But if it makes sense to you, you then either are part of the body of Christ or you're on your way to being part of the body of Christ. So some of the gifts are the, a prophecy. Healing is another gift. We talked about the gift of tongues. Some of the people in this congregation have the gift of tongues, which we use in a, in, in a private prayer uh, and private worship of God. We don't uh, let it take over uh, the, the worship service, but uh, we permit it uh, in our private worship. Gift of administration, gift of helps, gift of hospitality, the gift of generosity. Some of the gifts, there are others. Anytime you see these lists in Scripture, they're, they're never complete. And then there are also the fruit of the Spirit, which we get in our reading this morning. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know if you've thought about what are the differences between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. One of the things, of course, they have in common is both of them come from, from the Spirit. Okay, they're not things that we do ourselves or things that happen to us. I think probably the way to characterize the difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit is that the gifts of the Spirit involve certain actions that we take while the fruit of the Spirit involves our attitudes. Okay, now the attitudes are going to animate the action. Attitudes will lead to action. If you don't, if you don't have love, joy, peace, you're probably not going to be exercising your gifts. Um, so the, the gifts are the actions and the fruit are the, the attitudes. What I want to talk about this morning and both of our readings talk about this, I want to talk about the foundational gift that we receive, the beginning gift, the gift on which all the other gifts are then built and given. I want to talk, first of all, about justification, and then I want to talk about sanctification. Justification and Sanctification. Now, justification, we have a lot of different words that we use for it, but justification is that uh, event in which we go from being unsaved to being saved. It's that moment when our sins are forgiven and we go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. We call this salvation sometimes. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a once forever event. Once you're justified... You're always going to be part of the body of Christ. Alright? That's a one, a one moment event and it, it's triggered in, 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 in the unfolding of our lives, uh, by a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So we'll talk first about, uh, justification, but then I also want to talk about sanctification. 
So you and I who've been called into the body of Christ, there was a moment when we went from uh, being outside of the will of God to, you know, repenting and turning to Christ and believing in Him and trusting in Him. That's that moment of decision and that moment of turning. Okay, We are not part of the body of Christ if there's not been this turning. All right, there's always a decision involved to be part of the church. No one is born into the church. Just because your parents are Christians doesn't mean that you are Christians. Every generation has to re-up. Um, but once we do enter the church, once by faith we lay claim uh, to, the, uh, to the offer of the gospel, then begins a lifelong process of sanctification. Okay, this is this slow, unfolding changing from day to day where we begin to look more and more like Christ. We become more sanctified. Two little verses I'm going to throw out to you. One is uh, uh, Philippians 2.12 where Paul writes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The salvation or the justification is given to us in a moment, but then we work it out over the course of our lives. And that we call, that we call sanctification. We hear the same thing in the Old Testament in, in Psalm 2 verse 11, where, uh, David says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's a lifelong process of acting in a way that is based upon our recognition of holy God. So let's talk about first about salvation or justification. I'm going to try to watch my time there. Salvation or justification is, uh, it's a complicated thing, but it is the thing that causes you to become a citizen of the kingdom of, of God. If you have your Bibles there, I'll invite you to open uh, with me to uh, John chapter 3. Of course, uh, John 3.16 is probably the most familiar scripture in the Bible. I don't know if you recall that that, that little famous scripture comes on the, the heels of this conversation with Nicodemus, a very familiar story. Nicodemus is, is a Pharisee. Uh, he's, he's not converted yet. Uh, he's heard Jesus preaching. He understands that Jesus is sent from God, uh, and he's got some questions, and so uh, he asks for a meeting with, with Jesus. And then Jesus begins to say some, some mysterious things. In verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you know, there's a whole kind of Christian culture of being born again. Uh, you know, Jimmy Carter... Uh, was a president who, uh, you know, let the world know that he was a born-again Christian. And, and the journalists who were writing about this, who had never heard of such a thing, had to, like, go call up their Baptist friends and figure out what this born-again thing was all about. But this is where this is where this idea of being born again comes from. Jesus, in this conversation with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, of course, is a believer in God. He's a Jew, member of the covenant, He's a Pharisee, which means he's like a really good Jew. But Jesus says to him, actually something else needs to happen. What you've got is not enough. Hey, it's great that you've got this family legacy of being a believer. It's great that you believe that there is a God. I mean, even the demons in hell believe that there is a God. 
That's a good start. But there's something more that's required. And what's required is that you be born again. And Jesus says that no one who isn't born again will see the kingdom of God. That only those who are born again will see the kingdom of God. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be born again. Verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's a familiar passage to you. Little bit of debate in the literature about what this uh, being born of the water means. Some people believe that it involves, you know, physical birth, you know, because the, the, the baby's there in that sack of water and then it finally comes out. So that's being born of water. Um, an, another standard understanding of what this born of water is, is that this is the, this is the baptism of repentance of John. You remember that John is still preaching at this time, John the baptizer. He's still preaching, and he's preaching uh, a baptism of repentance. This dunking in the water is the sign by which somebody enters in, uh, the, in to, become a, a, to become a Jew. Okay, So if you were to convert to Judaism... You, one of the steps in the process of converting to Judaism would be taking a dip in what's called a mikvah. Okay, or you can do it in a creek too. You can't do it in a pond. It's got to be living water. It's got to be water that's moving. But you go under the water and your feet can't even be on the ground. You got to be like floating in the water. And it's, it's a step in, of conversion. And so when John's out there in the wilderness preaching to Jews saying, you know, the kingdom of God is coming, you need to repent and be baptized. John, in fact, is calling Jews to convert to become Jews. I think this is a great message for people who've been raised in the church. Okay? For those who've been raised in the church, just always have believed this from day one, never, you know, John is saying that even those people need to convert and, 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 uh, become part, uh, through, through, uh, part of the people of God through this step of repentance. So I think the first step is unless one is born of water, which is a, a baptism of repentance. Now we, we do a, we do a Christian baptism now, so we don't have a baptism of repentance anymore, but being born again, one of the steps in being born again is to repent of your past life and repent of your rebellion from God. So to be born of the water and of the spirit. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be born of the spirit Unless those two things happen, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want you to recognize that people who are born again are mysterious creatures. And as someone who's you know, been in this pulpit for a lot of years and preached to a lot of people, I can just report it's mysterious how different people respond differently to the same proclaimed word. And that's not me. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. He's doing something with the words that are proclaimed. I proclaim the word each each week, and then the Holy Spirit uses that in whatever way he wills, and it's not clear how that's going to go. Sometimes, sometimes it seems like the arrow flies 
straight and true and it hits its mark. Other times, I feel like I'm preaching to a brick wall. Alright? And it's not me. It is the Holy Spirit at work. It's mysterious. We don't know how He does it. We don't know why this happens. If it's happened in your life, you know it. And if it's happened in your life and you think back on that, you'll realize that was it was a little mysterious how God brought you to where you are. Some of you have got remarkable stories of the steps that God has led you to, to, to coming to faith in Him. It's not totally reasonable or rational. There's, there's no set procedure. You've come from a lot of different backgrounds and a, there are a lot of different paths that you've come to and the Holy Spirit has worked in all of those paths to bring you where He wants you. To be born again by the water and by, and by, and by the Spirit. So this is what happens in, in our salvation. In our salvation, salvation is going to involve the Holy Spirit applying the Word of God into your life. There will be repentance in, in, in your life. Uh, there will be a recognition that, that the life lived before is not the way God intended. And you regret that and you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do it a different way. And what leads you to that conclusion is not the persuasiveness of the preacher. It's the Holy Spirit. One of the things I think it's really important to recognize in salvation and in justification and being born again is that you being born again, your second birth is no more the result of your action than your first birth. None of you birthed yourself. And none of you rebirthed yourself. Now, your mother birthed you. You had nothing to do with it. In fact, you regretted it. You didn't want to get pushed out. And your rebirth will feel the same way. Holy Spirit working on you, pulling on you, tugging you, chasing you down. Finding you in places that you've been hiding. And then at some point you give in, you relent. Okay? It's very important for us to recognize that our salvation is not the result of, you know, something, some project that we worked on and accomplished. If you've been born again, it's because the Holy Spirit went and did a thing to you and got you born again. Okay, so that justification happens by faith. We we place our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, you can hear the gospel 10,000 times and it's some and, and, and one day the light goes on and you're like, oh, I get it now. Okay, and that's Holy Spirit. Okay, if it's not happened to you yet, don't freak out. You can ask God to give you that faith, to give you that insight. It isn't that you need another argument or another philosophical proof. You just need the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I was just thinking about something that C.S. Lewis said, um, where he said that, uh, that, that God is, mm, no, I, I have to, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to talk about that later. Let me talk about working out your salvation, about sanctification. Flip over to uh, Galatians chapter 5 with me. <laughs> so Paul in Galatians, so uh, John, uh, in John chapter 3, you have Jesus talking to an unconverted person. 
right? So Jesus is talking to someone who's not yet a follower of him. In Galatians, we have the Apostle Paul now talking to the church. All right, so he's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to pagans or people who are not yet believers. He writes, verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. Okay, this is this perpetual warfare. Paul's talking about, and he's talking in the life of Christians. I mean, he's talking to Christians here. There is this perpetual warfare between your fleshly nature and, and, and your spiritual nature. Verse 19, you, 19, 20, and 21, you get this little catalog of sins. He says, okay, here's, you want some examples of what the works of the flesh are? You know, and he starts going down the list. Okay, that list is not exhaustive. You could add other things to the list. Maybe your favorite sin is not on that list, but your favorite sin is part of your fleshly nature. And then in verse 22, he talks about the product of or the work of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, so we've got this, this conflict. The desires of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit, and in your life as a Christian, both of those are going to be present. Sometimes the flesh is going to win out. Sometimes the Spirit is going to win out. Paul is encouraging us to keep struggling, keep engaged in this battle, keep walking by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, is how he puts it in verse 25. Now, I... Think about this, and I wrestle with this question because I am not a fully sanctified person. All right, I'm not the pastor of this church because I am the most holy person in the room. Okay, I'm not. There are other people in this room who are more sanctified and more holy than me. And so in my own life, I wrestle with this. I know what it is that God wants me to do. And yet here's what my flesh keeps wanting to do. I know that this is this is God's will for my life, and yet I keep pursuing these other things. And so there is this question of how is it that we're going to have victory over the flesh in our body? How is it that we're going to have victory over the things that we want to have victory over? It isn't that I don't want to have victory over those things. I mean, I'm sure you've had this experience where, you know, you you have done things that you don't want to do, and you make resolutions about doing it differently... In the future, and then you go back to the old thing that you did before, and you regret it again. All right? So this is a common, a common struggle, and my eyes are often looking through scripture for how it is that we win this struggle. Now, I recognize that the struggle won't be over until the last day, until the day we see Jesus, okay? I recognize it. But I would like to have greater victory in my life as it goes along. Paul's clue here is this phrase, walking by the Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit. And then in verse 18, he talks about being led by the Spirit. And in verse 25, he talks about being in step with the Spirit. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Everybody who is in Christ has the Holy Spirit. It's not like you're missing Him. You got Him. 
how can we be led by the Holy Spirit? Maybe there have been moments in your life when you really have felt led by the Holy Spirit. It's been sweet time for you. How is it that we can be led by the Spirit? There are two ways to think about being led, two mechanical images for being led. One is the pace car that leads the racers around the track at the Indianapolis 500. I don't know if you guys watch racing, but at the beginning of the race, there is a car that goes around the track and all the racers follow him around. Or maybe it's a her. What do I know? They go around the track. They're led by the pace car. Their job is to keep up with the pace car. You might want to think about being led by the Spirit as being led by the pace car. You know, I just got to keep up with the Spirit. Got to keep my foot on the pedal so the pace car doesn't get away from me. It's one model. I think it's the wrong model, by the way. And there's a second model. The second model is the locomotive that sits at the front of a train. You may have noticed that the locomotive is attached to cars behind in the train and that locomotive leads those cars. I think being led by the Spirit is that is more that second one. That we are attached to the Holy Spirit and He does the pulling. And I think a lot of unsuccessful Christians have the Indy Pace Car model of being led by the Spirit where they think, well, you know, I just, I just gotta work harder at this. I gotta put my, my, the pedal to the metal so that I can keep up with the Holy Spirit. And I think if you think that you're gonna keep up with the Holy Spirit by putting the pedal to the metal, you're just gonna be worn out and you're gonna be discouraged and you're gonna come to the point where you're gonna, you're gonna despair. Why isn't this working? I'm not working. Why? I've, I've tried so hard. As opposed to just attaching ourselves to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to do the work. Alright, well that sounds lovely. Maybe it does to you. I'm not sure. But what does it mean practically? I don't have a clear answer on that, but let me give you the experience of my life. For me... Being attached to the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit has to happen daily. Okay, what happened on Tuesday doesn't count for what happens on Wednesday. Okay, you gotta, you gotta do it again each day. And for me, that happens when I am in the Word of God for an extended period in the morning. Okay? Not a little snippet. Not a daily bread. Okay but chapters and chapters and chapters. And reading in the morning and just hearing God's voice. Okay, All of the words of Scripture have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so when you're reading Scripture, you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I think your heart attunes to the heart of God. All right? Day, I mean, I, you know, I count my successes day by day. What is it that the people, you know, in AA say one day at a time? That's my Christian life, one day at a time. Okay, I'm, I'm hoping this Sunday is going to be a good Christian day for me. All right? And it does happen. When it happens is when I'm attached to the Holy Spirit by long readings of the Word of God in the morning. Take time. Read a whole bunch of it. Don't read a snippet. Snippet doesn't mean anything. I mean, imagine if you only read one paragraph out of a newspaper. 
You would not, you have no idea what that article was about. Read the whole article. See where it's going. Read a whole book. You can read a whole book in the morning. All right. You can read the whole book of John at your table in the morning. All right. I'm willing to say that that will make a difference. I know it's made a difference in my life. All right. So I want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to allow the Holy Spirit to animate your life. I want you to recognize that the accomplishment of the will of God in your life is not the result of your labors, but is the result of the Holy Spirit at work. We recognize what you know, maybe that your 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 rebirth was the result of the Holy Spirit, because of course you can't birth yourself. But take a look if you can want to flip over with me on on uh, John three twenty one. And this is interesting. It's mysterious. I wish Jesus had talked more about this. He kind of just says it and then doesn't explain himself. John 3.21. Some of you need to memorize this verse. John 3.21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. What? Whoever does what is true comes to the light. Jesus is talking about the, about the person who's acting in a godly way. Okay? And he's saying that, you know, that godliness is going to come to light. Can't hide it under a bushel. Whoever does what is Godly comes to light so that everyone else can see it, so that it may be seen clearly that his works, the works of this godly person, have been carried out by God. Oh, here all of this time I was trying to carry out that work myself. Maybe we're failing because we're trying to steal God's job from him. It's God's job to carry these things out in our lives. Let's attach ourselves to the Holy Spirit. I encourage you, try it this week. Okay, some of you are going to try it this week and you're going to report to me next week how that worked out. Set aside some real time in the morning. Read a long stretch. See how that day goes for you in terms of living the way that you know you want to live. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and adore you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Ah, giving us new birth by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that uh, those who've not yet been born again, that you would uh, allow that day to be today. And for those of us who have been born again, Lord, I just pray for a greater victory, greater sanctification in our lives. I pray that our lives would be holy, that they would be uh, meaningful, that they would make a difference in the kingdom of God, that they would bring honor to you, and they would bring uh, purpose to our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.